They're looking past wielding phones and wearing nappies. Uh, no, it's not Neil Wilson, Michael Ingram and Chris Bailey at the office party. It's Donald Trump's blimps in the sky over London again. I'm Nigel Cassidy. This is Markets Talk. So let's start with Michael Ingram, Chief Investment Strategist at WH Ireland. So some new tweets, new tariffs on Mexico this time. Um, so Trump's basically saying unless the Mexicans stop the flow of immigrants into the US, that will impose a 5% tariff on, I think, all Mexican exports on the 10th of June. And if something is still not done, then this will ramp up to... 25% on the 1st of October. And I think there are several legs to this. One, this tops off what was supposedly a, a quite a successful trade neg- renegotiation over NAFTA, the USMCA. It still heightened tensions between the US and, and China, with the China, I think, within the last 24 hours, threatening to you know, engage in a rare earth embargo uh, in the US. And also, it, 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 it perhaps works at another level, which was that many people saying, well, hang on, if the US-China trade war is going to be prolonged, Maybe we should be outsourcing to places like Mexico. So Trump has actually got a bit of a twofer there, I think. Well, yes, Neil, and it's almost as if Mr. Trump is weaponizing U.S. power. And, of course, the markets is uh, constantly sending him the signal, look, just don't carry on with this. Otherwise, uh, you'll be fighting an election with a failing economy. I mean, it certainly suggests that there's not much happening on the Chinese front. There's certainly nothing for him to shout about, No, nothing more to beat China with at the minute. So... He's turned his attention to to Mexico and uh, reopened that front. I guess it just shows that we need to assume that, that this sort of style of government is, mm. is, is how he works and th- there'll always be an enemy that he's looking to beat with, whether it's Mexico, it could be the EU next. I, think, I guess that's probably maybe the main worry mm. is that if he's just shifting around in, in this way, then then it's going to be heading back to the EU in the not too distant future, and that that would uh, that would be um, um, more of a big deal for the world economy. And Chris Bailey, there's a parallel with China here, isn't there? Because it's, uh, Mr. Trump is kind of almost telling the UK as he comes here, you've got to pick sides here. Of course, this is in a way what's happening as the US-China trade row continues. That uh, the world can either be on one side. Or the other. When you're running for an election, as we've already discussed, with a with a backdrop potentially of a, of a slowing economy, let's say, uh, that's obviously a little bit tougher. So you've got to rally to the flag, be it um, against Mexican immigrants, or be it against the you know dangers of Huawei's technological data exposures and everything else into the global economy. You're absolutely right, Nigel. You know he's got to try and force the electorate sort of to start thinking about these things. And obviously at a global level, it's clearly going to be fascinating diplomatically how he. Had Donald Trump sort of addresses his his short UK trip next week, obviously with the outgoing Prime Minister, among other people. It'd be fascinating to see who he meets. But my feeling is, yeah, he's trying to sort of say dollar... You know, if, if the dollar diplomacy angle of, of previous decades is sort of wavering, then maybe the sort of the diplomatic and foreign policy one can also still be more influential. You know, if I was Europe, I would hang him out to dry and actually see who gives the best sort of offers in terms of assistance, aid and everything else, diplomatic assistance out of the US or the Chinese. And Neil, how's this played on the markets this week? We've seen a sell-off throughout May. The US indices mm-hmm. down around stifle. I think they, they had a note out saying, you know, for the first time in five years, that sell in May was actually the right call. This May has been a, a bad month. First down month of the year for equities. Gold up for the first time in four. Oil having its worst month since November. Bond yields on the floor. The boons just bond yield is just hit another all-time low. 
So yeah, it's been a, a pretty shaky month, and mm. I think S and P five hundred testing two hundred day moving average again is is looking pretty shaky. And we could, if that goes, and that could be gone by the end of Friday, then then there could be more downside after that. Michael Investor's talking about bonds again. Is this a significant change, or is this just more of the the same? Mostly more of the same, I think. Though, though a, a quite interesting development very recently was actually Richard Clarida, who's the vice chair of the Fed dangling the prospect of a of a of a rate cut and i think it was certainly the first among the board of governors quite, to actually yeah, quite hold that in prospect. Sort of comments, wasn't yeah. yeah um although you'd have to say you know as i've said numerous outings of, of of this podcast the market is way ahead of them on this i think we're up to about a 95 percent imply probability of some sort of rate cut in the market at some point this year but yeah i mean i mean i was i was sitting down with our, our asset allocation committee last week and we were going through the numbers and we go well you know there had been this sort of tentative stabilization in terms of inflation and growth forecasts and earnings per share forecasts but you know a lot of you know some of this seems to be coming back on again and i mean i would imagine the next round of forecasts are going to be in a downward spot now in as much as you know a lot of this is already priced in the bond markets you you, you to some extent you have to hold your nose and go well bonds already very richly priced yes equities aren't looking that perhaps as attractive as they were a few short weeks ago on the other hand bonds ain't cheap either mm. so chris bailey what's an investor to do keep their fingers crossed that policymakers get religion and, and obviously that that captures that that cuts across not just um world trade but also you know the omnipresent brexit debate europe 2.0 where on earth we're going there etc etc so some hope the policymakers be it driven by the need to be to stay elected or the need to get elected again or in the case of Europe I guess to, uh, to try to work out what to do now that they've had their elections last week that would be the hope that they kind of step up a little bit but I think from a from a practical investing point of view is actually to be um, to look for opportunities because clearly after a period of dislocation and concern and fear why not actually go and see if actually certain companies or sectors are actually saying something of actually moderate interest. There are still some good dividend yields out there which do appear to be covered in in a reasonable sense. And um, even though we don't have a sort of a massive amount of corporate earnings coming out over the next few weeks, what we do, of course, have is the Osaka G20 meeting, the great white hope, if you like, of the pre-summer global economy, where there may be some kind of entente cordiale between uh, Xi and Trump of a sufficient nature to uh, make people regret mm. the Soleimani go away moniker too aggressively. I do see that in North Korea, the president has executed some of the people who were involved in uh, planning the talks uh, with Mr. Trump. So, uh, well, that's one solution, I suppose. Yeah, I think the last time, the last time I think that made news is when he executed one of his uncles with an anti-aircraft gun. And so he doesn't do anything by heart. Gets the job done. It, it certainly does. <laughs> Difficult to miss, I would imagine. Um, the one thing I was thinking was, you know, talking about, you know, great white hopes in terms of some, some, some kind of US-China trade resolution is we do know ultimately that Trump keeps a close eye on the market. And he also wants to get re-elected. So ultimately, he needs to be managing the market and the economy so it synchronises with the electoral cycle. And I think that ultimately what's what's going to be a driver to some kind of resolution, even if it doesn't stick mm. over the longer term. And I, and I do think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion over the last week or so about, you know, are we in a new, effectively a new Cold War between uh, US and Got to I, row back, hasn't he? If you look at uh, some of the forecasts, for example, for Apple earnings, I mean, yeah. you're going to see serious sales falls off in China as consumers turn away from US goods. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if everything looks is in the dumpster in 18 months' time, him blaming China for all of that is just not going to wear so he it, something will have to change between now and then but but of course in the meantime 
it's looking pretty precarious, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And, and you know, we, th- this ultimately comes back to the lunacy of an aggressive, overly aggressive trade war policy, which, you know, we've talked about before, is a lose-lose for everybody. But, you know, even on things such as the, the Mexican tariffs, you know, it did amuse me at a certain level, a bit as we saw a couple of years ago, that the depreciation of the Mexican peso offsets a lot of the cost of the tariff. Now, clearly, if he keeps on escalating it as he proposed up to October, uh, that, that that comes to a tipping point where it either becomes completely crazy or Dutchy does have an impact. But it goes to show, again, that the backward bender, he's taken, if you like, the easy chips from from tariffs, which are rally to the flag, I'm, I'm being a strong president. You know, the harder yards are coming now and the proximity of the election, it, it's not something that works easily. Hmm. And meanwhile, Neil, it seems every Conservative MP in the land is standing for the leadership. I think it's 12, 12. as we speak. Yeah. Um, Some I've never even heard of. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, for uh, members of that party, it's kind of easier to work on that than Brexit, I suppose. It's a, it's a distraction. But many of the pitches that many of them have come up with just seem completely unrealistic vis-a-vis well, the EU. Uh, it's all about Brexit, isn't it? The, the pitch is all, is all about which bit in the spectrum do you think you can get away with, with to carry the MPs and then carry the party. So the thing is, the party's so vehemently pro-Brexit that um, it's, you know, Brexiteers almost certain to get on the ballot on the, the final two. What I'm not sure about is whether, I think what's interesting is whether the MPs r- rally round to prevent Boris getting on that final two, because they he's probably got more enemies overall than friends, although he can win them an election, and that's yeah. maybe where they, some doubters might come round to him. If you look at the polling, clearly there is there, there needs to be a solution for Brexit in order to, from, from, the, from the perspective of the two largest parties, Conservative and Labour, to try to actually start to scrabble back in the opinion polls, you know, their historic um, reasonably strong positioning versus everybody else. As for the Conservative Party leadership um, uh, sort of debate, um, clearly I think this is, this is, yeah, focused on Brexit, but actually... I have been heartened to hear that some people have actually been talking about some other things, which is good and obviously in complete contrast to what we've seen at a legislative level for the last six months. Rory Stewart's been making making waves with his... um no, he's one I hadn't pot, heard of. Pot, uh, no, not pot smoking. It was yes, opium. 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 opium, opium, yeah, opium. Yeah. At, a, at a wedding in Iran. Well, you know, he's just too polite. I, I mean, I think the mention of Iran no. would have enraged Donald Trump. So one assumes that Mr. Stewart's not on his uh, meet-up list for next week. <laughs> I, mean, I think unless we have a, a committed Brexiteer on the on the on the ballot, I think then of course you know that the, the charges will be there that yeah, it's been a, a, an establishment stitch up. And of course, many have pointed to the fact that the Boris is going to be asked to appear in court. And the charges of uh, being a naughty boy, naughty basically. Boy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, uh, since Theresa May announced her departure date, the chances of Boris becoming next Prime Minister has absolutely soared. Recently taken a bit of a dip on the back, I think, on the back of that court case, thinking he's going to get stitched up somehow or other. But you've also seen Jeremy Corbyn's chances of the next Prime mm-hmm. Minister soar. And in parallel with this, seeing these chances of a hard, hard Brexit go down. You know, what we haven't mentioned so far is that there are many... In the Conservative Party, apart from anywhere else, who would rather tank this government called a vote of no confidence and allow Jeremy Corbyn potentially become the next Prime Minister than allow a hard Brexiteer with a no deal mandate to come to come in. So it's quite interesting like to see. Because you would think, well, if, if, if the chances of Boris coming in has risen, then surely the chance of a hard Brexit has also risen. 
but it hasn't, it's actually fallen. Mm. And of course you would cite as evidence for that the Chancellor's grenade during the week saying that he would go for a second referendum in Well, always, he's just saying what we'd always suspected, really. The reason he picked up on that was after those uh, terrible UK car production figures, I think down, what, 44.5%, Chris, mainly because factories shut down to prepare for a Brexit date that never came. You built up inventory and then you, you have to sort of work your way through it. And obviously autos, it's a horrible operationally geared area. In any case, you know, massive factories, huge fixed costs, massive uh, the margin consuming discretionary spend. It's an area which, whenever there's a bit of economic dislocation, is typically impacted. You throw in, as you say, Nigel, the Brexit shenanigans and sort of seasonal issues, and it's just had the double whammy effect. And um, I'm almost surprised it's not down a bit more. I think strategically, clearly, it's again indicating that... A bit like with world trade if you don't get some kind of resolution at least an ability to sort of move on all you're doing is just reducing economic activity which ain't good for anybody mm. hence i think you know coming back to what we said two minutes ago you know kel surprise that there's a bit more chat about a second referendum you know which i personally don't think is a, a particularly attractive option but it may be the sort of the least dirty you know semi-clean white shirt out there mm. um, at this moment in time but i mean it is a powerful argument that the car makers make isn't it that no deal needs to come off the table they've already lost half their sales i mean how much worse does it have to get in terms of uncertainty yes but you have to consider their their business lobby group they're not the entire country and and we live in a democracy where business lobbies come second mm. to the will of the people Should so you're with uh, <laughs> boris on f business sure. <laughs> well i mean yeah. a crazy notion that maybe maybe democracy should should actually be adhered to and people should politicians to stick to what mm. they've been told to do mm. Listen to this Bolshevik nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Captains well, of industry definitely know better, don't they? <laughs> Talking of cars, Fiat Chrysler, Renault, 33 billion euro merger was mooted, Chris. It's going to be a lot of political interference with this, isn't there, from all the countries that house yeah, these plants absolutely. and don't want to lose any. I mean, dearie me. I mean, it would be, in theory, the third biggest automotive company if it ever happened. But let's just look at the runners and riders here. I mean, you know, obviously in the backstory, we've got um, the issues at Nissan and Renault with Mr. Ghosn, which, you know, allegedly was all because of what he wanted to do, which the Japanese were unhappy with. So then you've, you've got the uncertainty from that perspective. Clearly, the French government are a shareholder in Renault and influential. And already, people, a lot of people have come out and said no job losses is their um, is their requirement. Fiat, obviously, is, is a big player in Italy. They merged themselves with Chrysler, which obviously um, then brings out a, a much bigger global element. I mean, I think for me, it's not quite two drunks propping each other up, but it's kind of one step removed from that. And it's again reflect for the fact that number one is we've got in the automotive industry too much capacity. It's an operationally geared area and is an area where also there's change. And the, if, for me, when I look at it, okay, Nissan does all right with the Leaf and everything else with electric cars, but neither of these companies are hitting the ball out of the park on things such as autonomous cars and, and related. They're having to come together in order to sort of facilitate their continued participation in this space. Is it going to ultimately work? I don't know. I think the jury is out. But I guess there's a few cost-cutting opportunities, which is why I think shareholders pushed the shares up over the last week. Um, inflated, wonderful rates of return, initially for fundamental reasons, um, if you like, the rediscovery of capitalism in the 80s, falling in through into the 90s, and more recently, as Mike just said, because of uh, quantitative easing, basically cheap money and all of, it, all of it that goes with that. With an undercurrent of globalisation, 
um, and related, which is, is still a positive. And, you know, there's always, I'm not sure whether this is still a regime shift, like, like we saw in the late 70s. I'm not convinced by that yet. But my observation is with populism is, I, I actually think not to be scared of it, because actually with populism, it's far easier to talk than govern. And while we have seen populists govern at the margin, look at Greece, you know, Mr. Cyprus, I'm going to go out the Euro. Now is Mrs. Merkel's best friend. He's also got an election to fight now, uh, which he wasn't possibly expecting. And in Italy, you know, are they completely mad over there? Or actually, are they looking for some alternative solutions to actually finding a bit of economic growth, you know, a bit more fiscal spend. You know, my feeling is the incumbent parties, the centrist parties, they're going to copy 10% of populist manifestos and and then, you know, regain a little bit of entrepreneurism and a bit of drive and hopefully a bit of electoral uh, linkage. But fundamentally, Nigel, the big issue is in the West, the East is coming to eat our lunch and that, that, that feels uncertain. But, you know, my view is you just got to get on with it. Lots of companies get through in a few minutes now. Should we talk about the FTSE rejig first? Uh, Neil, M&S looks like it's going to be out and uh, among the companies uh, coming in, one that I've never heard of called Aviva with an E, some kind of software company. Marks has obviously done, uh, had a rights issue, so it's, it's been hit by that. But I think Marks mm. is just on the... It's on a downward spiral. Well, you've been, has, has been you've for managed some to talk time. it down yeah, well, on this podcast relentlessly. Yeah, that, that'll yeah. be it. That'll yeah. be the reason. EasyJet also out. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, Chris. you know, cue the uh, plunging sort of, you know, uh, sort of altitude kind of comments, etc. Look, the thing with EasyJet, the numbers came out a few weeks ago. I think we, we briefly discussed them. They're actually all right, but they're buffeted by. Brexit uncertainty, where's summer holiday planning going, and obviously into 2020 uh, thoughts. I mean, for me, actually, uh, is it, a, you know, this then leads into a wider question. Is it a disaster when a company falls out of the FTSE 100? You know, clearly it's saying something about their recent share price movement. But in a weird way, of course, because of the way markets work, people anticipate this, they oversell the shares. And actually for fundamentally decent companies that haven't got maybe the structural issues that M&S have, something like an EasyJet, it might just yeah. actually be a renaissance, stop picking sort of type of opportunity. We'll have to see. Okay, and JD Sports, another one that could be in. JD Sports uh, fashion, Nigel, given their proper name. The juxtaposition of that um, is, is extremely important and obviously behind their yeah. corporate success. I've never been to JD Sports, no, by the way. No, me neither. You and me both. This week, quite a clutch of companies. If you start with a good one, Daily Mail and General Trust. Interesting here, Neil, the online revenues have actually overtaken those from the failing sales of newspapers. Some life left in it. Yeah, and it's a very successful website. I mean, it's, I think it's the most visited mm. English language mm. website, I think. The Sidebar of shame, as yeah, well, yeah. call it at the BBC. <laughs> You've appeared on it, Nigel, or not? <laughs> Only once. Stumbling, yeah. out of, stumbling out of uh, some nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Poundland, more like <laughs> One that's peaked is De La Rue, Chris. What I took from this was the fact that while we know they lost this big passport contract they print the world's banknotes and actually we're, we're sort of becoming post post physical cash now yeah that's right i mean that that's that's a structural issue but of course you know the flip side to that for uh, for danny as it's known in the in city circles is that there's obviously huge security um, implications around everything we do nowadays and clearly they are a leader in 
in or one of the leaders in in that business well respected in that sense so a bit of a two-way pull on the shares you know what are they trying to do they're trying to again restructure the company to focus in on those more security technological focuses rather than just if you like the slightly more commoditized printing of, of banknotes you'd have thought from the venezuela thing though that they'd actually be doing very well because they've got an awful lot of notes i've got i've got a feeling though that venezuela <laughs> might be slightly dropping their standards you know this, this is what tends to happen with hyperinflation you drop your standards so it's just like the most rubbishy bit of pseudo paper you know without any any just, sort just of, get it out there as quickly get it as out possible. there print it you know just and, and hence you know it just feeds on itself you know get the wheelbarrow out and go from there. Now, had we been here last week, uh, we might have uh, mentioned the fact that Neil wrote an interesting piece in the Investors Chronicle about activist investors. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I see... She horns that one. Yeah, she's got it in, yes, yes. The awful thing is they don't even pay me. First group, a company that have come under attack from such activist investors. They're flogging off Greyhound. They're looking at spinning off the UK buses arm. Still, investors aren't happy. Coast Capital, it, I think, has been sitting there with 10% that, that's agitating right. and, for a breakup. You know, this is just one huge round trip, first group, right? A year ago, a year ago, Apollo, another private equity name, bid 120p. Management said no. And what have we seen since? Share price dumped to 80 pence. Activists, as you said, Mike, have, yeah. have come onto the shareholder. Actually, another set of private equity concerns. They've suggested breaking the company up because they've got some quite good bus businesses in the sense that buses are quite cash generative. The student bus market um, is is quite a steady one. And obviously the more complex things such as the Greyhound long distance buses or the rail franchises in the UK, horribly political. You know, there does seem to be some sim- similarity for some of the parts of argument here. Company under a new CEO has got a bit of religion finally and is talking the same story. And where are we back? The share price is not far off the 120p level again. You know, if I was a shareholder, I'd be pulling my hair out thinking we could have got here a year ago. We've just wasted our time, you know, waiting for it. But I think finally they're getting there, Nigel. Next week for earnings, a bit of thin week again. We've got AO World Finals on Tuesday, Biffa on Wednesday. Any interest in any of those? Mm, well, AO World is always interesting because it's up against the sort of Curry's model and it's just uh, it's it's trying to grow in europe it's making it makes a bit of money in britain but all that gets gobbled up with its attempt to expand into mm. europe and it's just such a t- white goods is just such a tough commoditized mm. sort of market there's not really the differentiation is only in the customer service and the delivery and that's getting that right is is all important but some of the numbers that we've seen more recently have been showing signs of improvement so hopefully there'll be there'll be a bit more of a, an improvement I think, there i think the uk numbers have held up mm. pretty well what five to six percent growth it's actually been germany where there's been weakness particularly on margins german economy that's um, it yeah. the trouble they are world is that they've just got to properly present the numbers in the sense that Lots of chat about EBITDA, but when it comes down to it, as you sort of hinted, Neil, they're not actually making money, for goodness sake. If they want their share price to go up, you know, this sounds old, old school, I know, make profits. You know, it's kind of easier, you know, something, that's a top tip for Uber as well. Yeah, that was a disappointment. It's also this week. And finally, Biffa, rubbish or not? No. Oh, uh, oh, very oh true. dearie me, Nigel. Um, no, I don't think it's a waste of time to look at it at all. And um, I think the reality is, is that, you know, when you think about the big themes in the world, actually rubbish recycling and related is is actually still a good and it's driven by regulation that is a benefit for the business sure you've always got the slightly commoditized kind of refuse collection side but actually they're very good on the business waste and the sort of the the more sort of toxic difficult um, to process waste. Now, Malaysia and Thailand, they're sending it all back. I think there'll be lots of chat about that, lots of chat about energy, you know, using sort of the energy um, derived from waste and everything like that. So, yeah, not not not, not a rubbish company to look yeah. at at all, Nigel. Yes, I'd almost refuse to 
uh, add to that. But I mean, they did buy um, was it a waste national waste brokers special special specialist waste recycling? I think back in March, which should work well well for them. And actually, for a utility type company, it doesn't appear to be politically exposed. I don't see anybody worried about Jeremy Corbyn nationalising Biffa. Don't give him ideas, Mike. My goodness gracious! Yeah, but, this the, but the thing is, is that they they do they are a bit of a sort of an M and A wrap up play. There's lots of mom and pop waste companies which they sort of buy, except so that they you know expect to see more M and A on it. But you know we shall see. But yeah, I think a, a company which is well worth looking at. If only we could recycle more of the hot air from the leadership candidates, possibly even the contributors to this podcast. So let me just thank Michael Ingram, Chief Investment Strategist at WH Island, Neil Wilson, our host here, Chief market strategist at markets.com and chris bailey founder of financial orbit until our next podcast it's goodbye